I used to be a drug dealer. The drug of choice, the thing that I sold, was marijuana. I grew it. I bought it. I sold it. I used it. Like every other dark story, I've got my share of things that I did in my community, selling drugs to young people, being a young person, having the experience of being the popular guy on the street because of it. All this happened back in the 90s. In the early 90s, I lost a job I loved because of my marijuana use and my relationship to marijuana. As things have started to change drastically with marijuana use and the marijuana culture, I want to say at the front of this conversation about the madness that is going on that I voted for and would continue to vote for the legalization of medical marijuana. I don't particularly agree with the recreational use, but it's very clear to me that it's a trend that is headed one direction. There is a propaganda storm taking place about the benefits of marijuana that is trying to scream down and shout out the people like myself who are still saying, hang on a second, you're not paying attention to what's really going on. Every 420, April 20th, I post up a feed on my Facebook page saying that 420 is a farce. And I say things like, this is a numbing down of our culture. This is a celebration of mediocrity and laziness. And it tends to be every year the most popular stream on my Facebook page with 193 people screaming at each other and throwing down facts like they're playing Go Fish with cards. Everybody's got a handful of facts in their pocket that as soon as this conversation comes up, they start peeling things off. Well, what about this? And this is what's happened with use. And this is what happened with arrests. And this is what's happened with deaths. And this is what... So the purpose of this show, Marijuana Madness, is I want to start breaking it down. I want to bring in the experts. And I have a feeling a lot of people are not going to like this show. And that's okay with me. Because what I want to do is I want to get past the propaganda. I want to get get past the extremes. Marijuana is the devil weed and the extremes of marijuana is going to save the world. Because both of that is BS. What does the center look like? 180 degrees of sick is still sick. It's not the end of the world and it's not the beginning of the new world. So what is it and how does it affect teenagers today? My first guest with this talk is Avani Dilger therapist in Boulder, Colorado. If you've heard my other interview with her uh, called The Circle about Avani's work with natural highs and working with teens in Boulder, and that's where I raised my kids. We're, it's the lion's den of marijuana use. And in fact, in prepping for this, I'm looking at a map put out by marijuana use in the United States. In, and it's a color-coded map. And uh, Colorado is the darkest red map on the entire, it has the highest usage, 12.8 to 15.4% of people in the entire state. That is the state average of use. Not even California is there. Not even California is there. So here we are in the lion's den of marijuana use, working with teens, the victims of the fallout of this propaganda. This is Beyond Risk and Back, and today's show is titled Marijuana Madness.
I am a teacher, teen and parent coach, internationally known trainer. I own and run a residential treatment center for teens. And best of all, I am a happy father, stepfather and husband. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, brought to you by Mental Health News Radio and Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. I am your host, Aaron Huey. Beyond Risk and Back is designed for parents, clinicians, and teachers looking for support to guide the teens they care for to move forward from risky behaviors into real freedom and responsibility. Now, let's help each other get these kids back from Beyond Risk. Hi, Avani. I'm glad you're back. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Of course. Listen, Avani, there's a few reasons why I want you as a guest on this show. Number one, you really understand the teen brain. You understand drugs. You understand teenagers' relationships to drugs. And you are offering teenagers such a successful counter experience to the drug culture. So successful, in my opinion, it's why we use it at our facility. The second reason is I think you're a brilliant, brilliant therapist, and I love your approach to helping people who are using things like drugs to help themselves instead of connection and uh, adventure. And number three, it's because after we finished our last interview, you and I were talking about this as a subject, and you brought up a video you had seen about something a doctor had said, and you can Google it, that is so outrageous, it cracked me up and at the same time made me furious. Do you remember what that was? Yes, you know, and this is what I, what I, what came across my uh, feed for breakfast and uh, hearing a medical doctor saying that the fact that we have endocannabinoid receptors in our body means that we would have to use cannabis and that if we would not use cannabis, we might cause a serious cannabis uh, deficiency in our brain, <laughs> which is, of course, I mean, it's like, you know, that's where we're at. And uh, that is the advertisement uh, that the marijuana industry is using now to get people convinced that using marijuana would be a good thing. And that's exactly what we see here in Boulder. Colorado that, you know, a lot of kids believe, but also a lot of adults and a lot of parents believe. And so you can imagine that it's difficult for people at this point to find their way into what's actually true and, and what actually what happens in, in a human brain and especially in a teenage brain when people use THC. You know, I think so much of this is a lashback. It's a pendulum swing for the years right. that people were still regarding cannabis, marijuana, and the use of it as this horrendously detrimental death sentence that mm -hmm. has been tapered off through the years. That it was this thing that if you did, you were part of this secret against the man culture. And mm -hmm. we're getting some insight into spirituality and life's existence on the edges of egoic transference to the metaphysical blah, blah, blah. And let's listen to some Grateful Dead or some fish. And... Mm -hmm. So now we're seeing that it is, at least in Colorado, a thing that you do and it's okay. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most important things about this conversation or this discussion is that I think we have to be careful of polarization. That, you know, at this point, what I'm noticing in our community presentations or when I talk with parents, that the moment I raise anything critical around marijuana, people immediately want to put you in the corner of the old, you know, you're for the drug wars or you're for, you know, Nancy Reagan, just say no. And I think we need to be very careful 
that we see the whole situation much more differentiated. So for example, I am not for criminalizing any drug use. I am for decriminalizing all substance use because people certainly don't get help when they get punished or put in put through the justice system. And I have lots of experience how that is not helping people who deal with substance abuse issues. But I'm certainly not for, you know, legalizing a drug and then putting absolutely no regulations on it and handing it over to an industry that is really in this for the money and not for really, you know, benefiting people, people's health or, you know, supporting any medical benefit. And there is a lot of evidence for that, that the industry is really more driven by interest and profit than any other interest. There are three experiences I had I'm sorry, there are four experiences I had after the recreational vote came through that really stand out and set a tone for me as to what my life was going to be like moving forward in my work with teenagers and recovery. Uh, the first thing is the night that recreational marijuana was legalized in Colorado, I was watching a video of a room full of people who had worked hard to get the vote passed. And when they saw that the vote had passed, there was a huge celebration. As soon as the vote had passed, people were lighting up and smoking and cheering and hugging each other. And there was a man in the front row uh, right up by the camera who was holding what looked to be around a two-year-old. And he was mm. he was talking to the two-year-old, jumping up and down and celebrating mm. with this two-year-old who had no clue what was going on. And everybody around this two-year-old was now suddenly smoking and cheering. And the second experience I had was driving through Boulder and I came to an intersection. And on that intersection, there's a very popular dispensary. And mm. they had some new strain that they had been advertising and there was a line of people out the door and I saw at the corner three young middle school kids yeah. and they were high-fiving each other and jumping up and down and laughing and celebrating the fact that there was this new line and that they couldn't wait to get their their cards and their ability to buy it the third thing was I suddenly had a wait list for my facility of 34 people and I have had a wait list at my facility a couple times in its existence at the very beginning. And then when marijuana was legalized at the very beginning, I had a wait list of six marijuana was legalized and suddenly I had a wait list of 34 kids, 34 kids. The fourth thing was suddenly being asked by four different documentaries, five different documentaries to talk about my experience that suddenly this had become such a huge popular thing. So I have to be honest and say, I've come to this rather tainted, but I'm also what mm -hmm. I believe a realist and a pragmatist that this is happening and that because it's happening, people have forgotten the center. They've run out to the edges. They've gone back out to this mm -hmm. polarization that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I see the negative effects of marijuana use in families every single day. And have consistently, to anyone who has said that I am manufacturing some sort of problem, which I have been accused of, that I am manufacturing a problem with regards to marijuana to make money off of families with teenagers. And I have put out a blanket invitation for people to come visit the facility and talk to the teenagers themselves over the last eight years. And no one has ever taken me up on that, to come meet the kids and let the kids tell them what marijuana has done with their brains, their development, their families, their energy. We are not an abstinence facility with regards to trying to promote that all drugs are bad and that all this and that all that and, and you have to stop forever. We're not going to say that you can do it, but we're also very real to say, you know, there are some people in this world who can handle it. 
There are some people in this world who can smoke a bowl at the Super Bowl and then maybe not do anything but have a few beers on their birthday. And then maybe there's a friend's party and they celebrate a little too hard. So they Uber home and then it comes around to Thanksgiving and someone passes a joint. But that's not me. And that's not addiction. And people who can do that, who can quote, end quote, handle their drugs, trying to pass judgment on people who can't is also a piece of the problem. And that's what I want to bring to the table is that there are people who might be able to only smoke pot two or three times a year. That's not me. It never was and it never will be. And I grew my own. So I want to make sure that people listening know that we're trying to come from the center of this, not the extreme edges. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I have been working with people who were uh, caught up in the justice system and with their substance use. And so were mandated to do substance abuse treatment. And I've been doing this for the last 15 years here in Colorado. And it was very interesting to me always that I worked with people who came out of prison and were on parole and were required to stay abstinent. And I worked with people who could stay abstinent from heroin. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from methamphetamine. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from crack cocaine. And then they went back to prison because they could not stay abstinent from marijuana. So I had this very interesting experience with people that you know, where it was very obvious that marijuana is extremely addictive to some people. And really nothing in the public conversation reflected that, right? What what I think you and I see on a daily basis on the ground, that people struggle with marijuana addiction and that it can cause really serious impacts in their lives. And it was interesting, I think it was in 2014, The Guardian published an article that had the very controversial headline, if marijuana is as addictive as heroin. And the interesting, really the interesting uh, dynamic that I'm seeing is that for some people, it can be very addictive and it can be very difficult to quit and it can cause a whole range of very serious mental health problems. And the fact that now dispensaries are advertising here in Colorado marijuana that it would be helpful for mental health problems such as depression and anxiety is, of course, very hard for me to deal with because I see in our program in my practice is that the, it's exactly the other way around, that people develop very serious mental health problems as an effect from their marijuana habits. Okay, so you've cracked the shell with the with the big one. Is marijuana addictive? Can you be addicted to marijuana? I certainly was. I and I and I certainly it's the drug I think about consistently when I 19 years into sobriety with the when I have a desire to relapse, it's always with marijuana. I vacation a lot in Jamaica and it's very difficult at times. And I, I love the beaches and I love the people. And the focal point of the culture is such that uh, I struggle and I'm very good at turning it down because I get offered it a lot while I'm there. But I can say from personal experience, I was my addictive personality was extremely attracted to marijuana. And you and I both know, and I think we can support that, yes, drugs have addictive qualities to some people, and people who are dealing with trauma get very attracted to drugs, and especially marijuana that's being sold as a solution to depression. That is the largest load of crap that I have ever heard, because I know that without it, I was very depressed. The way I liked to tell people is that when I was high, I was happy. When I was sober, I was sad. So why would I want to be sober? Well, now that I'm on the other side of this issue, I'm very aware that my use of marijuana was keeping me sad. 
It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't helping me be happy. It was actually keeping me sad. So let's talk about well, it, is marijuana addictive? Well, I think it's very confusing to people who use it because, of course, the moment they're under the influence of a, of marijuana, they feel a relief of their symptoms, right? And it's just like when people are drunk or when people are high of another drug like heroin, they would also not feel depressed. They would also get a relief of their symptom. But people don't understand the brain chemistry of how THC actually works in the brain because once you study that you can see how yes in the very short run when somebody's under the influence they would not feel anxiety or depression but how in the long run THC active ingredient in marijuana causes depression and anxiety that is very clear and it's clearly documented. And so I think the tricky part and the difference in marijuana in comparison to other drugs like heroin or alcohol is that it's an exception among drugs in the fact that it's stays in our bodies much, much longer. You know, typically a drug leaves the body within hours or within days. And marijuana is an exception in the fact that it stays in our system for 30 days. And so what that leads to is that people really don't have an immediate withdrawal or come down or hangover because the drug is still active in their system. And usually people don't stay away from marijuana long enough, let's say for 30 days, where they would feel the rebound that is quite intense. And, uh, you know, I work with people who have to stay clean. And so they go through that period of time where THC finally leaves their body. And oftentimes people cannot believe the rebound effect from marijuana, which is very serious depression. It's very serious disruption of sleep, of appetite, of all kinds of cycles in the body. I mean, to the point where people literally think they're going crazy. I, I, and, Avani, uh, we, can, we can set our watches to it at the facility. When we have a kid who's really yeah. struggling with marijuana use, he comes in and you know that first week or so, they, they got it, they can do this. And then that second week comes in and we start to see it. But man, that 28 to 34 day mark. Yes. Oh my gosh. The shift notes go around to say, hey, so-and-so's coming up on their month clean of marijuana. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets ready to really support that. Oh God, it's a wave. It's it's like a, a huge surfing wave crashing to the shore. So we can set our watches by it. It stays in the system for about mm-hmm. 30 days. But you see, what we see is that when people are not forced to quit, right? People feel like oh, I can stay away from it for three days. I'm just fine. I don't have a craving. I don't have a rebound. So that's what makes people believe that marijuana is not addictive as another drug like alcohol or heroin. But when people are held to it to actually stay away from it for, let's say, four weeks or six weeks, they can't do it and they will not do it. And so it's just much more underground, much more hidden. And I think that's why people don't realize, you know, until the circumstances force them to quit. The other thing that plays into this is, and and this is the second part of the shell, especially when we're dealing with youth, is the THC content. I can tell you back in the day that I was growing, I thought I had the good stuff. And I just <laughs> probably had anywhere from, you know, three to six percent THC that I was growing. I remember back in the day, the big one was tie stick. Ooh, so-and-so's got some tie stick. And that had like seven to nine percent THC. The stuff these kids are putting in their system, and I'm talking about kids, and for me, kids means up to age 21. It is unbelievable. 99% average, 36% THC, and that these are bragging rights. 
numbers that my stuff's got 70%. My stuff, I made this stuff in my garage and I got it up to, this is messing with so many parts of the brain. It keeps the body in worse shape. And this 28 to 30 days can actually extend out, especially with a lot of daily use. But it, it used to be you could smoke a joint. Now it'll put you under. It'll, oh my gosh. What do you hear from the kids? What do you know about this THC rate and how it's uh, uh, kind of going a little nuts? Well, and I think this is a really missing piece of the discussion here in Colorado. And, you know, most kids and, and including adults don't understand that at all, right? So when we tell adults that the original marijuana plant that grew out of the ground had probably less than 1% THC and that the strong marijuana in the 60s had 2% THC and that the current marijuana that is sold in dispensaries in Colorado has you know, it's now up to 35%, but that that's not what kids and some adults use, you know, which really what people are going for to hike the high even higher is concentrates and edibles up to 90, 95% THC, you know, the, and then people quote marijuana research, not being aware that the marijuana research uses FDA approved research has to use FDA approved research, that at this point, the strongest strain that is FDA approved is around 10%. So we don't even have research on the marijuana that is currently used in Colorado, which is three to nine times the potency. You know, when, when we teach that to kids and adults, they're just dumbfounded. I mean, they cannot even believe that because when you think about another drug and, you know, tripling the potency or uh, making it tenfold, I mean, that people wouldn't survive that. The question of what that high potency THC is doing in the brain, we have no idea. And I don't know, I want to tell you this project we were part of where a mother whose son went psychotic over just using marijuana, right? I mean, he hadn't done any other drug. He had just used marijuana and had a psychotic break and was deep in the psychiatric really crisis. And from one day to the next, she became an activist and a filmmaker because she was aware that the information through research that it would take decades for the reality to come out what the current THC products and the marijuana that is sold in Colorado is actually doing on the ground to both teens and adults. And so she made this documentary called The Other Side of Cannabis that we were part of, you know, just gathering evidence and information from people on the ground who are seeing the impact now and, and using the medium of a documentary to bring the information out so we don't have to wait you know, for decades until the research is finally coming back to us, telling us how devastating these high THC products are in the teenage brains and in adult brains. And not just only on this adult brain here is that, you know, because we don't have the research of what this high THC content marijuana is doing, we know what parts of the brain that it's affecting, but because the research is not done with dabs and with shatter and with mm -hmm. these really high-end potency products, but the developmental piece, I, this, this is the part that starts to get me. If medical marijuana, if when the doctor writes you a prescription, they're saying, hey, listen, you need to get a strain that has maxed out at this potency. This is how many times I want you smoking it a day. And in three weeks, I want you to come back and talk to me and let's see how your symptoms are going. That's not what's happening. They're getting blanket prescriptions and they can choose whatever kind of strain they want. They can get it refilled as much as possible. That's not controls. That's not legitimate. And, the, and I grew up in the hospital industry. I know that the pharmaceutical industry, it's a mess. 
It's an, it's a travesty. And I, this is in no way me trying to say that I'm a proponent of anything that's going on in the pharmaceutical industry. And I'm watching marijuana follow suit. I'm watching it start to do the exact same thing. I want listeners to ask themselves who's making money on marijuana. I want listeners to consider the fact that government legislation of marijuana for medical or recreational use has to benefit someone. They're not going to give it to you otherwise. They're not going to give you the yes vote because they've given you so many no votes and they want to hand you one down. Someone down the line, somewhere down the line, this money is ending up in some dude's pocket. And I want you to consider who that is, especially, and this is, this is the part that Avani, that I think people, it's another one of those things. We got the THC content, the brain chemistry content that people are just glossing over on this path to celebrating uh, the end of prohibition. Patent number 6,630,507 is the patent on cannabis plant compounds. And I have routinely asked, do you know who holds that patent? And no one knows. And it's the U.S. government. The U.S. government holds the patent on cannabis compounds. So I want to ask again, who do you think's making money off of marijuana legalization, medical or otherwise? How could you possibly think after all these years of smoke and pot and it's given you some insight on the man and the way the conspiracy works and who's really in charge and follow the money that this is any different? Who do you think's filling your pocket on cannabis use? And people, that's one of the things that's been glossed over is where this buck is stopping. It's the same place it's always stopped. Do you think Monsanto's not going to move on this? You think Philip Morris is not going to move on this? You think the government has thrown you a bone? That's the type of thinking we all thought smoking pot would give us the insight to how it's not true and seeing beyond the veil, man. So that's another piece that just blows my mind as people are just happy to be high and not paying attention to what's really going on. Well, and, you know, it's a very interesting thing when you look at, because there are compounds in marijuana that have actually medical promise. And uh, so, for example, cannabidiol, CBD, uh, seems to have uh, medical benefits to people with seizures and epilepsy. And the interesting thing is that the marijuana industry has not done anything to increase the CBD percentage in marijuana. All the industry has been doing is increase the THC content and THC doesn't show any medical benefit. So there's no study that shows any medical benefit of THC, which is the compound that people get high from. So we have a situation to this day in dispensaries, you will have a very hard time finding a pure CBD product. Most products are sold in dispensaries contain THC, which certainly doesn't have any medical benefits. So you can see very clearly when you look at the chemistry and what compound the industry has been hiking, you see where the where the intentions are going. It's not to benefit people in medical ways, but it's clearly to get people to get high from marijuana and to increase that and to build tolerance. And so I think that makes it very obvious where the tensions of the industry, where they are. You know, that was one of the things when I, when the last time I did that, you know, 420 is a farce post on my Facebook page. One of the people got on there and was yelling at me about epilepsy and the treatment of uh, marijuana, medical marijuana and epilepsy and posted me a few links to videos about marijuana 
being used on a kid who is suffering from epilepsy. When in fact, if you actually do the research, rather than just grabbing at those cards and throwing them on the table, like I said, it's not THC that helps with epilepsy at all. It's the CBD. And the reports are anecdotal and they are saying that it does have some value in treating epilepsy, but the quality of the studies were too poor to draw the definitive conclusions. So yeah, there's a potential that CBD could be a very valuable treatment. But as you said, that's not what the dispensaries are promoting. They're promoting the THC content, and that's what they're trying to refine is the THC content, not the CBD content. It might be that CBD is a very, very potent medicine for us, Mm -hmm. but that's Mm -hmm. something that's different. You know, this is, let's talk about some of the health benefits that you accept, Avani, because you have you have such an insight to the damage that it can do on teenagers because these are the kids we work with. You talked about the kid going into psychosis. I have had a kid come into the facility with marijuana-induced psychosis. The first time I spoke to him while he was in the mental unit, the adolescent psych unit, he was telling me how he was Jesus Christ, not in the cosmic sense of that we all are, but that he was actually reborn and back. Now you can pass that off as, well, he had some other issues going on. He didn't. And when he got sober, and every time he is sober, and as I watch him struggle through life and recovery since his graduation, I can tell when he's smoking marijuana and when he's clean. Because when he's clean, he's he's he has a, a sense of value and self-worth and is contributing into his community. And when he's not clean and he's smoking marijuana, he's back in the closet calling himself Christ. And this thing is a very, the, psycho, the psychosis is a very real thing. But what are some of the benefits to marijuana that you can actually swallow, Avani? I want to just speak just for a moment about the risk for psychosis, you know, because people, I think, think that's a very isolated situation. And unfortunately, we see this so frequently now with high THC products that we started teaching a whole class on psychosis and the risk of psychosis through marijuana in high schools here in Boulder. And we regularly ask in the circle, 20, 25 students who experiences psychotic symptoms. So who experiences things like seeing things that are not there, hearing things that are not there, being paranoid. And you wouldn't believe it's like a lot of kids who are using marijuana have experienced these symptoms that if they would talk about these symptoms with a psychiatrist, they would be diagnosed with psychosis. So we see that it happens very frequently. And we know again, you know, through research on marijuana that is unfortunately is very, very low THC marijuana, that the risk of psychosis can be tripled or can be increased sixfold. And we see that on the ground, that fallout on a daily basis. So that's a very painful situation. I don't know if people can imagine that suddenly you sit with somebody who you had very, you know, just wonderful conversations with and suddenly they're not there suddenly their mind is gone and they're not coming back. And uh, that's really painful. And I think that's an aspect of marijuana that is, you know, so uncomfortable that people here don't want to talk about it and don't want to face it. You know, that's, it's really interesting how, how you've prefaced this, because if you, you're right, if you talk to a kid 
who has had some of the more extreme experiences on high-potency THC and listened to their experiences. If that kid was not on THC, they would not have had those experiences. If they were to relate those experiences to a mental health professional, that mental health professional could potentially assume that this kid has a psychosis. Now, a lot of people listening might say, this is a fault of the psychiatric industry and psychiatric information. But the mere fact remains, if this kid was not using high potency or THC at all, they wouldn't have had these experiences that mental health professionals consider psychotic experiences. So that's one of the propaganda arguments. Well, there's a problem with the with the therapeutic industry. But you don't get to make a blanket statement like that. We're still missing the individual person, the user. What's going on in their brain? I'm looking at, as we move into, are there positive effects? I've got a list here of how THC affects the brain. The amygdala, the basal ganglia, the brainstem, the cerebellum, the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, the neocortex, the nucleus acupens, the spinal the effects that THC is going to have, panic, paranoia, slowed reaction time, as the anti-nausual effects, impaired coordination, impaired memory, increased appetite, altered thinking, judgment, and sensation, euphoria, and altered pain sensitivity. This is like mental ibuprofen. It's a dimmer switch. If I'm in pain and my arm hurts and I take ibuprofen and that pain goes away, that's a good thing. But if two years later, my arm hurts daily and the only way to deal with that pain is to continue taking ibuprofen, regardless of the effects that this ibuprofen might be having on my liver, my stomach, or anything else that's going on. At some point, you have to say, I'm in pain, and you need to go get help with that arm pain. Why do we see marijuana as different? If it dims the brain pain, the emotional pain, and it's not dim, it's very loud, unless we're smoking marijuana. At some point, we got to go see what's really going on. It's just another pill. When you study what THC actually does in the brain, and this is unfortunately, again, right, what most people in Colorado have never heard about, have never learned, that is still usually not taught in high schools. You know, it's very powerful. So THC is a copy of neurotransmitters we all naturally have in the brain, one being anandamide and one being AG. And so, for example, anandamide is a very important neuromodulator, meaning that it is a secondary neurotransmitter that helps us calm our brain down after we get activated or after we get stressed out or after we go through an intense period of exertion, which stress can also lead to that in the brain. So, of course, it feels extremely good for people in that moment to uh, use THC that has this calming effect on the brain. But the, the unfortunate next effect is that then the brain stops making its own calming neuromodulator, which is anandamide. So you can see that over time, people will create a deficit of their own anandamide. And of course, in this world right now, you know, where people deal with so much stress and so much anxiety, if you can imagine that then people's own brains can't produce its necessary calming agent, that that would really create a dependency on external factors to calm yourself down. So, I mean, we know that because of that copying process, that that leads to can lead to a serious dependence. I think the problem is, and you laid that out really well in terms of, you know, comparing the physical numbing with the mental numbing, that when you look at the effects in the brain, unfortunately, the part of the brain that would recognize 
the problem, which is the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain is heavily influenced by THC. So, you know, we all know people who, you know, smoke a lot of weed and then say, you know, I'm, I function better and I have no problem. And everybody around them just looks at them and is like, yeah, right. Because everybody can see that they have a problem, but they themselves can't see it because the part of their brain that would recognize the problem is under the influence of THC. You know, what it, it. during one of my 420 farce posts on Facebook, a woman actually wrote down that she is a better driver while she smokes pot and mm-hmm. she feels better about driving her kids around when she's high, that her kids were yeah, safer with her in the vehicle yeah. than... Yeah, it's very... It's very painful because, you know, we had very serious accidents in this community in the in the recent years where we lost some really important community leaders in accidents that were caused because the driver was under the influence of marijuana, including a young child. So it's a very painful situation in our community here in Boulder because this argument that nobody has ever died from marijuana or, you know, it's just not true because we had this happening right here in our in the midst of our community in very, very painful ways. The tragedy that people can't see it, right? I mean, again, it's just another sign of that when people have influence, they just can't see the problems that THD is causing. There's another one of the pro-marijuana arguments that people drive safer. I'm looking at a Denver Post article written by Kayla Robertson, and she's talking about the rise of marijuana being involved in traffic fatalities. And I'm looking at her research right here. And in 2015, of the 547 fatalities in Colorado, 187 tested positive for alcohol. 99 involved drivers who tested positive for marijuana. And that's it's almost half like like we're 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 right on the numbers. So so to say alcohol's bad and and DUIs and stuff that marijuana does not contribute. It's an outright lie. Not only that, but this article has the police officer saying these numbers are going up. This is not some mm-hmm. fluke. This is since the legalization they have steadily climbed. They're saying that these numbers are actually higher because at the time of this study, it was not mandatory that the autopsies included testing for marijuana use. And so they're saying most likely these numbers are higher. So these are rising numbers. This is the part that really gets to me. If we're going to legalize and move forward, then let's do it with eyes open. But we're not. This is eyes wide shut. Yeah, I just want to add another number here. You know, I'm just pulling up the Denver Metro area emergency department visits because again right people say oh marijuana is so much better than alcohol or is so much better than opiates and that you know marijuana would help people not use harder drugs that cause more problems i'm just looking here at the emergency department visits and in 2010 in the denver metro area the emergency room visits that were drug related the highest percentage were for marijuana So again, right, I'm just saying these are emergency room visits, and that's for marijuana, a drug that people think is safe, is physically not causing any problems. Just give you a few numbers in terms of comparison. There were 33.4% emergency room visits drug-related were for marijuana. For heroin, there were 13%. For methamphetamine, there were 11%. So marijuana was the highest percentage of drug-related emergency room visits. So here we have, you know, an impact that people don't talk about, that people don't want to face, that marijuana causes very serious 
physical emergencies that people are completely, you know, not dealing with or not not acknowledging. There's a piece as you and I come up to our hour here. I want to end with. I want to. I want to give my piece on it, and then I want you to talk about it. We had a parent who came in to visit her daughter, and her daughter stole this parent's marijuana out of her purse while the woman had brought it into our facility. It was wax. It, it was the very high potency. When we confronted this mother to say, why on earth would you bring marijuana into a teen recovery facility to visit your daughter? And her, the first words out of her mouth was, it's medical. And we have had conversations with Child Protective Services in multiple counties about, you know, kids talking about their parents being high around them. And there's a lot of gray area about that. But as Colorado is moving forward, the laws are starting to have some clarity. There are some black and white. And should parents smoke pot around their kids? Should they be high around their kids? What if they smoke pot or do an edible and their kid comes home from school and the parents, you know, buzzed out? So I smoked pot around my daughter when my daughter was, from the time my daughter was born to the time I got sober when she was three. I was high around my daughter. I almost got into a car accident getting high with my daughter in the car. She was asleep in her chair next to me, and I was leaning down, smoking a pipe, and I took an inhale, and I looked up, and the traffic in front of me on the highway was at a dead stop. And I was in a Ford F-250, and I slammed on the brakes and went off the road, and everything in the truck and my daughter was bouncing all over the place. It woke my daughter up, obviously, and she looked at me, and she said, are you okay, Dad? And that was a pretty big turning point in getting sober, because here I was smoking a plant, right? It's just a plant. That's what we hear. It's just a plant. I don't see what the big deal, but I almost killed my daughter because I was so in love with the plant. And getting a high around my daughter, I know that I was only half there. And it led to me not being able to be there at all because I lost custody of my daughter when she was young. And to get get it back, I had to be sober. And I'm very grateful to my ex-wife and that mediator who set that rule into place, even despite how much it hurt back in the day, that it was a catalyst for me to get sober, to stop using, to be fully present. We're not fully present when we're high. It doesn't make us more here. It makes us less here. And parents getting high around their kids, you might as well just text. You might as well just surf Facebook when you're talking to your kid because you've got about the same level of presence. It doesn't make us better people. It makes us less of who we really are because it's it's, it's a numbing agent. It numbs us out. So there is still this argument that we are better off with it and that parents can be better parents and that kids can be better kids and that we're we're more free. I don't believe it for a second. What do you think, Avani? Is this, is marijuana going to save the world? Or have we completely, are we just, is this another laundry detergent that's going to make us happy while we're doing the laundry? I mean, that's exactly the, I think the biggest impact. And that's, that's one that's hard to capture in numbers and statistics is presence, right? How are we present? And I work in high school. And so, you know, when I experience kids being under the influence, they don't step up. They don't use their voice. They're not using their creativity. They're not making things happen. They're not stepping up as leaders. And we work with a lot of kids, you know, challenging them into leadership positions with natural highs in our program. And we require that they stay clean and sober because we know that if they don't, they really can't contribute their full potential. And we have a lot of kids that say afterwards, Like I was in a fog, I was asleep, I had no idea what a powerful leader I could be and what I could accomplish. And I think that is 
the most heartbreaking effect that I'm seeing in our community now is this lack of presence and this lack of people wanting to step up and really taking accountability and working for the change to make our communities better. And I know that that's something that is not so tangible, you know, is not as tangible as emergency room visits. But when it comes down to our day-to-day -day life, I think this is, for me, probably the most important impact and the reason why I don't like that marijuana is completely unregulated right now and very accessible to both young people and adults is that lack of quality in relationships and that lack of showing up for each other. Avani, I know this conversation is going to continue, not only with others, and I know the feedback of this podcast is going to be big because people still are really on fire about the pros and the cons about this. And the propaganda on both sides is huge. We know D.A.R.E. doesn't work. We know that the D.A.R.E. programs in, in the schools didn't work. And we know that the Just Say No doesn't work and that the war on drugs was a massive failure. And that real success comes through community and conversation and actual truth about what's going on in the brain. And that's what you're doing with Natural Highs. And that's what I'm doing in our facility is we're trying to teach the science behind what's taking place so that people can make a conscious choice. But I also have to say, to make a really good conscious choice, you got to be sober. You can't make good conscious choices when you're high. And so to find out what you really believe about this subject, get sober, get real, and get the real information. Do your research. Take the time. So, Avani, I know we're going to be talking again, not just on this subject, but many others. You're one of my favorite experts out there, and I love so much what you do and love being involved with your program and kids and the clients that we share and the kids that we struggle with, that we hand back and forth to each other. I really appreciate our relationship, and I know we're going to be talking again. How can people get in touch with you if they've got questions about their teens, about their young adults using drugs and finding an alternative? Well, people are very welcome to check out our program. We are on naturalhives.org. You can find us online and we are here in the Boulder area, but we're also expanding and will be more available in other places as well. And I just want to say thank you, Erin, to you because these are at times unpopular truths. And there's not a lot of people from Colorado that are willing to stand in the fire of these unpopular truths and are willing to speak them out loud. And so I appreciate your courage around that. And sometimes it feels like a lonely position to be in. And again, I would encourage everybody to not be pushed into the pro-con, simple black and white, old way of looking at things, but to be more differentiated, be more brave and courageous and being willing to look at all the different aspects of these issues. Well, thank you, Avani. We'll talk again. Sometimes standing for what you believe means standing alone. I'm quoting a song by one of my favorite metal bands, Hatebreed. Parents, as always, you take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationship second. You take care of your children third, because in this way, we teach children how to take care of themselves and we do our best work for our kids. So I want to thank Kristen Walker, the boss goddess over there at Mental Health News Radio. I want to thank my guest, Avani, who we'll be talking to again. Please check out her other show with me called The Circle. Check out all our podcasts on Beyond Risk and Back. And please subscribe, pass this on to your friends and family, any parent, teacher, or clinician that works with teens trying to help them find real freedom through responsibility. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. Thank you so much for joining, and we will talk again soon. 
Thank you for joining us at Beyond Risk and Back. Support for parents, clinicians, and teachers. Join us at beyondriskandback.com. You can download past episodes there. Visit Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center's website for information, support, and continuing education trainings for parents and professionals at www.firemountainprograms.com. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook by searching at Beyond Risk and Back. You can also follow me on Twitter, catch me on YouTube, and join me here every week for another podcast. This is Aaron Huey saying, remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work for the children. Thank you for listening, and we will talk again soon.